I have one word I want to talk about. It's the word change. Uh, Not the kind that you have in quarters, dimes, nickels, and pennies, but the kind that involves life change. Now, there's a huge, if we were in a classroom right now, I'd have my smart board, my whiteboard out, and we would talk through what God has on his heart about change. From my vantage point, there are three primary passages of Scripture that identify in some way God's enormous heart about life change. The first one is in Romans 8.29. This is God's eternal view of life change. In Romans 8.29, Paul, the apostle, the church planter, the missionary, says that God has conformed us He predestines us to look like Jesus, Romans 8, 29. That's huge. On his heart, before the beginning of time, he knew you would be sitting right here in this place and he'd have a word about change for you, Romans 8, 29. Then there's a beautiful line in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, that it's present tense. It talks about what God is doing right now. In 2 Corinthians 3, 18, it says, Paul the writer says, he's transforming us to look like Jesus. Morphing us, think butterfly, cocoon, all that stuff. Changing us to, he's doing, it's his promise. Right now, in this very moment, 1137, Eastern Standard Time, he's at work. Then there's this beautiful promise out into the future. It's over in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, where... John, the apostle John, promises that ultimately and finally, when everything is brand new, the new heaven and new earth are brought about, we will look like Jesus. Change. Now, it's easy to talk about change on a practical basis. You did it this morning when you didn't wear your pajamas to church. You changed. Right? Not hard to change clothes. I had a tie on in the first service. I took it off, wasn't a hard decision. Just get rid of it, change. Some of you like working on your vehicles. I'm a motorcycle guy, I like working on my motorcycle, change my oil. Not hard to change oil. Maybe you go to somebody, it's not a difficult task. It's not hard to change your hairstyle. For guys like me, there's no sweat in this at all. Not hard to get your hair redone in a different way, to change. It's not, it's not hard, though some people wrestle with this, I admit it. It's not hard to change your mind. It's an election year. We're thinking about our, these potential candidates, and we're swayed back and forth by what people say. We change our minds. But the kind of change I want to talk about is exemplified most of all in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus actually portrays for us five tools, five ways that we can be formed to look like him. So all I want to do is go where Jesus goes. I really want to talk about him just for about 20 minutes. Just talk about Jesus, what Jesus did. So with these five, I'm calling them formation tools, there's actually a a sentence that I carry in my heart and I'm I'm not going to unpack it for you, but the the sentence, the ultimate sentence deals with what I want to talk about, that God wants to change us to look like 
Jesus. So the fundamental question is, how did Jesus do this life thing, this relationship with God? So let's start there. Here's the first tool. There are five of these. Here's the first tool. Jesus, when I think about Jesus, Jesus practiced holy habits. There were certain exercises, spiritual exercise, certain, in my vocabulary, certain disciplines that Jesus practiced that marked his love for the Father. Uh, the second service, I just asked people to shout it out. I'm not going to do that now because I think you'll overwhelm me. You look awake. But there's just a lot of things that we know in our heart of hearts what Jesus did. We know he prayed. We know he fasted. We, we, we know that he made sacrifice, that he served. We know that he was engaged in the culture, that he healed. He had word intake. He memorized scripture. A lot of holy habits. I say all that because I want to ground it just in a single verse. And I know I'm hurrying. In Luke chapter 4, if you've got a Bible and you just want to look at this, I won't be able to do it for each one of these tools. But in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, I chose this intentionally because it seems so uh, unnoticed when we read Scripture, and yet it marks out a holy habit of Jesus. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third gospel into the New Testament. And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, that's habit talk, as was his routine, as he usually did, the Bible says he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Translated, Jesus went to church. He had a holy habit. He didn't sleep in. He got up. He was engaged. He worshiped, read scripture, taught, did all those things that a normal Jewish person would do. He had holy habits. Now, I came to say this. If you recognize in yourself that there are some things that need changed, to say it more bluntly, some unholy habits. Your unholy habits can be defeated by holy habits. I'll use myself as an example. Apologies again, please. I was a little guy in a dysfunctional home. I'm uh, one of seven children. My father uh, grew up in a dysfunctional home himself. My grandfather died of alcoholism, cirrhosis of the liver. Uh, he broke his vows almost as soon as he said, I do. He was uh, unfaithful to my grandmother. My father grew up in this volatile home. When he's 15, uh, his mom, my grandpa and grandma divorce. World War II breaks out. My dad is in the military service. He's on a B-17. He's shot down over Germany. He's captured, and he is absolutely brutalized. Now, we have names for that today. We call it post-traumatic stress disorder. But they didn't name it for those guys in a previous generation. And he was, my father was just broken. I've described him this way. He was a grenade with a pen pulled out. My life then was marked by anger. I fought. I'm a, you can't tell now, I know. I, I love sports. I love basketball. I grew up on the south side of Indianapolis. And I just was passionate about these things. And sometimes I'd get passionate and I'd say things. My unholy habit was swearing. I was good at it. I just... So I'm, I'm a young kid, six or seven years old, and I'm down in the basement. I can't even remember what happened, and I'm swearing. 
I just think it's me. I'm just cussing up a storm. And one of those words floats up through the floor and my aunt, my mom's sister, hears it and she runs and squeals on me and my mom hurries down there, grabs me, takes me into the bathroom. It's still definitive in my brain and washes my mouth out with soap. I wish I could say that was the only time it happened. But she could have done it a zillion times over and there would have been no life change. Fast forward another 15, 16, 17, I'm in the military service. I'm a military policeman in the service. And I've, I'm wrestling with this. I've come to understand the claims of Christ on my life. I'm with a group of men who have been discipling me and getting me to memorize scripture. It's not till I memorize scripture that a holy habit, you with me now? A holy habit begins to take over and my unholy swearing begins to depart. Holy habits can defeat unholy. You want life change? Are you interested in that? Then walk where Jesus walked. He had certain practices, holy habits that he lived out. That's the first tool. Here's the second tool. Jesus embraced pain. I wish I could just say that. In a, I wish I was a more of a master of the English language and I could say it differently. But if you really want life change, if you want to grow, if you want to be in step where Jesus is going, you have to hug your sorrows. I hope it's not violating a confidence. A young lady came up to me after the second service and talked about how difficult that had been for her in the past year or two. Sometimes we go through things called divorce. Sometimes uh, life just falls apart and we come up with a, something called cancer and we wonder about the goodness of God. Sometimes we lose our jobs or we, we lose a loved one and the wheels just seem to, there's a bumper sticker. I don't know if it's around Bloomington, Indiana, but it's certainly among the Gentiles over in Bloomington, Illinois. And, there's a bumper sticker, I can't say it because it's got a swear word on it, a, a, a four-letter word, and then it says, happens, blank, happens. Sometimes life is like that. The wheels just fall off. Now, will you embrace that? Or do you run from it? What I love about Jesus, if I could anchor it in a single passage of Scripture, the second tool, Jesus embracing his pain. I would take you to the letter of Hebrews. Actually, there are multiple verses in the letter of Hebrews that talks about Jesus putting his loving arms around the Father's will and going to the cross. The primary one for me this morning is Hebrews chapter 12. If you're writing it down, just go look at Hebrews 12 verse 3. He endured the cross. He put up with the sarcasm of people who put him there. He embraced. He didn't waste his sorrows is what I'm trying to say. Do you want to mature in Christ? Do you want to make an impact for Jesus in Bloomington, Indiana? Then you've got to hug your pain. You can't walk away from it. Let me come to the third tool. Jesus maintained alertness to God. Now you can substitute your own Southern Indiana word there. I don't know what it is. Watch, listen, when I was a little guy learning how to read, see Dick, see Jane, see Sally, insert the word see. Matter of fact, if I could anchor this, weld this to a single passage of New Testament scripture, I would take you over to Mark 13. 
Mark chapter 13, Jesus is trying to ready the disciples for the future. And they're just enamored by these big blocks of stone that comprise the temple. And Jesus is trying to wake them up to realize his kingdom isn't about this. And so he uses this. It's actually, I, didn't, I haven't said this in any other services, but you're, you look like smart people. It's actually the same Greek word. It just gets translated in a variety of ways. It's actually the very word that I'm using here, alertness. Sometimes it gets translated see. Sometimes it gets translated look. Sometimes it gets translated even this way more strongly. Be on guard or watch or be attentive. That's the idea. Jesus is trying to help his disciples to say, the Father is present. Be attentive. Be watchful. Jesus was ever alert to what the Father was doing. Now, I say all that because I believe that God is a communicating God. I think he just wants right now to break into your heart and speak into your heart some life change. God speaks in a variety of ways. I'll reduce it in just four simple ways. He speaks through creation, right? Some of you garden. Some of you are attentive to how beautiful the landscape is down here in southern Indiana. You watch, God puts his, John Calvin said that God is seen in the details. He just puts his autograph, his, I'm not talking about God being a tree or any of that nonsense. That's not what I mean. It's his, his signature is on it. He communicates, Romans chapter one gives that affirmation. God reveals himself through the things that he's created. He does it a second way. He does it through this, this book. Tom and I had a conversation an hour or two ago. I've lost track of time about the, the eternal nature of God's speaking voice in Scripture. And when you're grounded in Scripture, when you have word intake and you're eating it and owning it and ruminating on it and letting it change you, you begin to recognize that God reveals more and more of himself through this book. There's a third way that God reveals himself. He reveals himself strangely at times through people, conversations. You can be at Walmart trying to check out and somebody enters a conversation and suddenly they don't know it, but you're hearing something, some affirmation, something maybe that you've been noticing in your own life. And suddenly God is speaking in that moment. Ultimately and finally, the fourth way God speaks and why it's so important that we remain alert is that he ultimately and finally speaks through Jesus Christ. If you want to know what God is like, take a long, loving look at Christ. It's why I'm so in love with him, unashamedly. I came for one reason, to tell you that I love Jesus. I just love him. I want to honor him and all that I do. And so if you want life change, then you have to go where he goes. And part of where he goes includes this watchfulness, this attentiveness, this alertness to the Father. If I if I could somehow illustrate it, I would simply take you to the Bible. The Bible's the best illustration of itself. And there, I, I'm going to have to cut this short for time, but there's a beautiful story over in 1 Samuel, the first three chapters of 1 Samuel. There's a little guy who's born out of a crisis. Uh, there's a, a father who has two wives. His name is Elkanah. The women are Peninnah and Hannah. Hannah can't have babies. Hannah ultimately gets blessed by God and has a child, a little boy by the name of Samuel. And in the third chapter, 
chapter of 1 Samuel. If you've not read it, maybe this is your day. I just encourage you to go to the bookstore and get a Bible and go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. It might be your day. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, little Samuel, we don't know quite how old he is now. He's in the care of the priest there at Shiloh, maybe five, six years old. He might have been a little older than that. He hears his voice in the middle of the night, Samuel, Samuel. He thinks it's Eli. He wakes up Eli. Eli's cranky like some of you. He hears it three times. Eli Eli doesn't understand. He's not alert. He's not attentive. Finally, Eli realizes what's going on. He tells the little boy Samuel, he said, the next time you hear your name spoken, you say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. If you want to look like Jesus, you got to listen. Trying to communicate that to my grandchildren. I'm exasperated right now. You got to listen. There's a fourth tool. Jesus practiced. I love this one. He cultivated friendships. It sounds so non-spiritual, but it's hugely, hugely important. If you want to grow, if you want to change, then you get in step with Jesus. You cultivate sacred friendships. Now, let me, let me again sow this idea into a, a gospel passage. There are a lot of them that emphasize this relational piece, how important it is that we don't walk with Jesus alone. We travel together. I'm reading through the Gospel of Luke on my own right now, and I'm just fascinated by the number of times that I notice that as Jesus is carrying out ministry with others, he has them doing it two by two. So in John chapter 15, you got to think upper room. you got to think pre-cross. Jesus is on his way. He knows what's in front of him. In John chapter 15, verse 15, in that upper room scene, Jesus unloads this game changer. He says, I no longer think of you as servants. I now call you friends. Everything changed after that. I'm just going to cut to the chase. Again, you can't tell that I do any kind of exercising, but I do. My oldest daughter is an exercise crazy person, and she tricked me here a number of years ago to start running with her and she said why don't we do a I didn't know what a 5k was I'm an American for goodness sakes what's a 5k (laughs) so I've got used to this metric system and we did that and she said dad we're never going to be happy unless we do a half marathon I said how much is a half marathon I'm just an ignoramus she said oh it's a bit I said, okay, I'm in. We trained. We came down to southern Indiana, actually, to run our first half marathon about 10 years ago. We went to Evansville. I wanted to kill her after that thing was over. (laughs) About 2006, she tricked me into doing a full-blown marathon. That's what I said about mile 19. Wow. I hurt. My toes hurt. My eyebrows hurt. My ears hurt. I was so mad at her. She, she had told me, she said, Dad, put your name, just JK, put your name on your bin number. And she said, that, that, that's going to make, I said, why? She said, you'll see. I own about mile 19, mile 20 when you just want to quit. Total stranger in Chicago, man that I'll never meet on this side of heaven, came out and I'm going to start crying. He called me by name and clapped and said, you can do this. 
You're not alone in this. Keep running. Don't, I baptize the snot out of that. I just, I said if that's true, if that experience is true of the Jesus following life, I can do this. If Tom goes with me, I can do it. Right? Friendships. Jesus cultivated them. Let me come to the last one. This is one I promise you that has not been, I did, I'm not tricking you. I, I, I didn't ask Tom what I should say, but I know you're, you're trying to really do this one, this fifth one. Jesus did it. Jesus served. You've had this series where you put emphasis on that. If you want life change, if you really want to grow, you gotta, you've got to go where he goes, and where he goes is service. He empties himself, according to Philippians chapter 2. He takes on the form of a servant. If I could take you to one verse, one verse only, you might want to look at it today after meatloaf and potatoes. If you want to look at it today, go to Mark chapter 10. Some of you probably have put it to memory. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where Jesus says, even the Son of Man, he means himself, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. If you want to walk where Jesus walked, you take on the form of a servant. I have a friend who's a preacher in Peoria, Illinois. He's far more articulate than I am, and I like how he says this. My friend says that people who serve soar. So think of, a, think of an eagle hovering on the, the movement of the wind, just soaring. People who serve soar. And then in contrast, my friend says, people who don't sulk. And he sticks his thumb in his mouth and starts sucking it. Those who serve soar, those who don't sulk. Now, that's fundamentally true because if you're an Old Testament reader and you've studied the history of Israel, you know that there are primary words that describe them. And one of those words is murmuring. They just whine. Now, if you came with somebody like that, just give them a little nudge and tell them to pay attention here. You cannot be a whiner and be a server at the same time. Do you want to, I, I just came to ask a question. Do you really want to be formed into Christ's likeness? Then these five tools are the very tools that Jesus practiced quickly. Imagine when you were a little guy, and I bet some of you still do this because you've got some little ones at your house. Imagine you've got a little one who stands and says, Daddy, Mommy, Grandpa, Grandma, measure me. And they get up against the wall, you know, a little cheating, a little bouncing of the toes. And you, like me, I did this with our kids when we lived down in Joplin, Missouri. I marked in the garage the same spot, a line above their head and put the date and put their name. They were just enamored by that. It felt like every, every other day they were pestering me. Daddy, measure me. Could you take that picture? Could you take that and just walk it into your everyday Jesus following life? Let it be your constant prayer. Daddy, Father, measure me. Grow me, stretch me, change me to look like Jesus. I, I came to bring you good news. The same grace that makes it possible for us to have a relationship with Jesus, the same grace that saves us is the same grace that changes us. Are you willing to work alongside him in that change? Father, will you use this now? here at this church to your purpose, your honor, and your glory in this part of the country. Let, 
Let great discipleship, great fruit bearing come out of all of this. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.